Whether it's House, Burnt Offering, Sinister, The Shining, you gotta love movies where a writer tries to get away from it all. Well, Demons 3 has that, which is awesome, but as a bonus, we've got this creature who's seemingly obsessed with orchids, of all things, but no seven bloodstained orchids here. Join me. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Downtown Toronto Headquarters, here's episode 449 of the Really Awful Movies podcast. Demons 3, The Ogre, Demoni 3, La Casa del Orco. Now, scary. That's the uh, one-word review, courtesy of my four-year-old, who uh, didn't actually watch this film. You'll be, you'll be happy to know, but uh, uh, maybe he's a budding uh, Roger Ebert or Pauline Kael with a little review, and he commented about a scene involving a remote-control truck as well, which he quite liked. <laughs> but anyway, to the extent this has anything to do with the uh, highly regarded and uh, quite hilarious uh, first two demons by uh, Lamberto Bava, obviously, as this one is, well, it really has nothing whatsoever to do with those. And uh, in keeping with the kind of craziness and uh, the loopiness of the Italian horror set, where you had various iterations and title variations of something like zombie, variations on Night of the Living Dead uh, type titles, it's perhaps not surprising. Although I think this one was actually intended as a sequel to those films. And if you haven't seen those, I mean, well, it makes you wonder why you'd actually be listening now. But uh, if you're a longtime fan of the Really Awful Movies podcast, you'll know that Demons 1 and 2 were uh, highly formative films for both myself and ex-co-host Jeff. And uh, I believe I saw demons at my friend Aaron's place when I think I, th- I think I was around 12 or 13 or so and you know while we uh, were kind of flummoxed and uh, baffled by the uh, ADR as as often was the case that it was very very bad in in those uh, mid 80s early 80s uh, Italian horrors we were nonetheless impressed by the sheer over the top uh, gut munching aspect of uh, these films and that is what really resonated as did of course the two soundtracks for both demons one where college students are invited to this um, screening this mysterious film by this strange figure on a Berlin 
uh, S-Bond platform who's wearing this uh, weird chrome mask and uh, of course everyone knows what happens thereafter and Demons 2 is set in a high rise and a kind of de facto if you will a remake of David Cronenberg's Shivers but this one has really nothing whatsoever to do with demons at all. I mean, insofar as you can say that a, an ogre is a demon, I really, you know, I think you'd be, uh, it wouldn't be splitting hairs to say they're really not whatsoever. And this one is, is a very, very different beast entirely, I should say. And I, I came to this through, of all places, Scanners 2 and some documentaries about castles. So I was looking for unheralded sequels because it's been a while since I've done one on the podcast. But I was also watching a bunch of uh, documentaries about uh, Norman castles and English castles and particularly one about Dover Castle and how, uh, I guess, a bunch of historians and some, I guess, the theater people reimagined this uh, 12th century edifice in a way that would uh, take visitors back to the actual time it was. Because if you've ever had the chance to actually visit castles in Europe, you'll notice that they're very, very dank places and uh, they're hardly very spirited. But in, in the case of this uh, documentary, you had the people actually recreating the, the wonderful uh, tapestries and, and uh, carpets that they would have had, and of course the uh, the wooden thrones and seats, and they really made it quite lively. And actually I found out that the color scheme was actually quite gaudy by today's standards. So you'd have these weird colors uh, mixed together, like uh, rich blues and greens and reds, and something that would be very much out of a like a, a circus or something, or, or a kid's playground of some sort. So very, very weird. So I had castles on the brain. And I had sequels on the brain. I watched about 15 minutes of the really just bonkers Scanner sequel. And I was going to actually watch Scanners 3 as well. Well, because I can't believe I hadn't gotten around to it. But And then it got me thinking, well, what would be a good castle type horror? And that led me to Castle Freak, which I had too recently visited to consider that one. And then I thought, well, what about what about this one here? Because... Uh, obviously, I hold uh, the Demons films in such high regard, I thought, oh, why not? Because, of course, the the man behind the uh, camera is Lumberto Bava again, and, and uh, I really quite liked A Blade in the Dark and some of his other stuff. And, and this was co-written, uh, Bava co-wrote this with uh, Dardano Sarchetti. And uh, he's a longtime collaborator of Lucio Fulci, and it's really cool to see his name attached to this. And uh, I believe he he did The Beyond and uh, New York Ripper for sure, but a whole slew of those classic kind of Fulci movies. And as I was watching this, it really struck me how that that trope of the paranoid, suspicious, superstitious villagers is just so engaging and fun. It reminded me actually a little bit of Lucio Fulci's uh, Demonia, but there's tons of films like this and they don't have to be Italian it's always the suspicious people and then of course the warnings you get of uh, not to go somewhere and you can that harkens back to like a crazy Ralph from Friday the 13th or one of these things but you always like it when the when you have these kind of uh, insider outsider dynamics as you do here in demons where you have a couple Tom and Cheryl who are on vacation in uh, what looks like it could be Puglia or or Calabria, but it could also be Sardinia. I, I don't know. It's Sicily. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. If I had to bet on it, it looks very uh, Calabrese. But they're on vacation from Milan, and the, the female half is this kind of uh, popular novelist, and a horror novelist, in fact, 
and uh, they have rented this castle. So what we have is, is kind of a little bit of a uh, shining motif because this castle also has this, uh, this weird maze, though not nearly as scary or as uh, impossible to escape from as, as the one in The Shining. We have this set up, Tom and Cheryl, the husband and wife, and their little kid Bob, which was the de facto go-to name for seemingly every kid in 80s Italian horror of, uh, in, in adults as well. Well, and I think it was just sort of thrown in as the kind of quintessential American name to um, to really resonate with audiences on these shores. And so, yeah, Tom, Cheryl, Bob, and they rent this castle. And this is a really, really sprawling structure, sprawling edifice. It's really massive and really crazy. And they inhabit uh, this this place and uh, Cheryl starts having these weird visions as she's exploring again this, this is what I think uh, likens it a little bit to demonia where have, you have one of the characters exploring the basement well she does here and she has these uh, visions from childhood and there's there's actually a prologue in this film and it uh, has this uh, scene where this the, uh, you find out later it's actually Cheryl as a little girl and she has this teddy bear and she encounters this ogre and uh, she has this very, very terrifying scene set to this amazing uh, diminished uh, musical score. Really, really cool. And, you know, you got to love prologues. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's something like a hospital massacre or uh, something like a, a prom night with that accidental death. There's just countless prologues. And it, uh, it, it just warms my heart to see that kind of thing. Uh, admittedly, it was weirdly handled because I wasn't sure it was a prologue until about 20 minutes in when the Cheryl character actually references some of these things that had happened to her and tells her husband about it. So it has this weird kind of really enigmatic feel. And yeah, especially so since the I guess, I guess the first one is set in Oregon, which the characters call Oregon, which is extremely irritating, but <laughs> nonetheless. And then the husband uh, it takes umbrage with the fact that she's having these things and and saying things like, "How could your teddy bear from Portland or wherever end up at some remote uh, Pugliese freaking castle in the middle of uh, rural Italy?" So really wild, fun stuff. I mean, this is a movie that's chock a block full of fun from the very beginning. You have this little kid, the little boy, I guess, uh, Bob, he's got this just janky, janky, like, snaggle teeth. I mean, it's unreal. Well, so does Cheryl as, as a young girl, too. I mean, the, the two kids, I don't know if they were chosen for their, like, practically demonic teeth, but it is this really amazing, and they, they go to this local cafe at first, and, um, Bob says, oh, can I have an espresso too? And the, the dad says, sure, not a problem or something. So it has, it has this little funny detail where they're speaking Italian very, very, very briefly before they um, seemingly, uh, I mean, they just dispense with the language altogether, I guess, just to make it easier for the subtitles and whatnot. So they have this very, very rudimentary exchange with the um, the bar wench and, you know, saying like, oh, a dollar twenty lira or whatever that they pass over and then they continue the conversation in English with the rest of the uh, presumably uh, Italians in in the town and everything. So just a, one of these like quirky little details. Movie very detail oriented. Lots of some of the hallmarks that you'll see in these kinds of uh, dusky supernatural movies like this, where you have someone shining a flashlight down a an empty hall and cobwebs all over the place and and um, just all these kinds of touchstones all the just imbued with a real sense of 
fun and energy this movie and it just it's just so so delightful on so many fronts you just gotta love these things i mean poking around in the basement and then you have um the couple at loggerheads because she wants to see a parapsychologist about all these visions uh, she's having and uh, she gets mad at her hubby because she says you want me to see a psychiatrist don't you well i mean if you had your choice seeing a parapsychologist or a psychiatrist like who would be the crazy one really right i mean who who would think that that uh, kind of mumbo jumbo of the former would have any uh, utility whatsoever i mean we're going to segue into what we've learned here and make this a, a shorter podcast but there's there are just so many choice little details in this film that are so wild. Like there's the, the little hinting at the ogre, which is made more visible later. And this ogre at first glance looks like an almost Elizabethan Planet of the Apes type type figure. It's got this sort of doily-esque almost uh, collar around the neck and a really, really strange looking. And then as it uh, reveals itself later, it, get, it reveals some of the more bestial, cool elements of it. And it almost takes on a, a kind of a werewolf aesthetic, which is uh, super cool and super fun. I really like that. There's uh, some secondary and tertiary characters in here that are pretty good too. Like I believe her name is Maria, who's the sister of this local academic. And uh, she's uh, the one who's tasked to babysit young Bob and uh, chases him around and becomes, I think, the first victim of this uh, creature. And uh, she's quite engaging herself. And uh, she's, you know, we're introduced to her as she's trying to teach Bob about the various uh, flora and fauna in the immediate vicinity. Again, there's this stupid little scenes with uh, nature playing its uh, a part in this uh, film as well, despite it being set in a castle. So you have Tom and his son exploring in the woods and you know, all this just ridiculous goofiness. R really, like, in effect, a film that is heavily padded, given that there's an immediate flashback to the prologue that happens, I think, 15 minutes in. So you're already taken back or taken back into these visions and uh, you get a sense that there's really a very threadbare and very, very scant, very little to this in terms of a narrative structure, in terms of where things could have possibly gone. But I mean, still, nonetheless, you got all these things that are happening. You got the suspicious villagers who don't want anything to do with these interlopers and, and uh, some of whom I think actually scurry away when I think Cheryl asks for directions to this, what turns out to be this labyrinthian path toward this uh, giant castle on the hill. And there's this discussion in the car about whether these locals were rude to them and uh, all the stuff, which they clearly were. So I don't know why it was a point of discussion at all, like to even ask about, because it's uh, pretty apparent to anyone with a uh, you know, two brain cells to rub together. But just, again, just some of the goofiness that comes from this type of, of uh, film. And really, again, having nothing to do with uh, the kind of uh, meta aspects of the first two demons, including actually uh, feeding off the audience of horror films in one instance, and also feeding off the audience of TV horror in another. So in one, you had uh, theater goers, in another, you had people who are interfacing with uh, a horror films shown on television. So nothing whatsoever to do with this kind of technological portal and bringing uh, demons in to uh, confined spaces. Rather, there's just this creature, this is more of a creature feature than anything else that's really lurking about in the shadowy, dank confines of the sub-basements of, uh, of this structure. So really, 
really a, a strange one. But another thing I learned too is that it's a really, really dynamite score. And there's a motif that's that's uh, brought up, I think, three to four times, and you know that it's it's good because you're not bothered by the fact that this refrain happens several times. It just happens. It uh, it's uh, effortlessly integrated into proceedings in a way that's just super cool. And this is just a a fun, stupid, goofy, ridiculous movie. And and some of the just the chatter is the pretty you know moon bat and, and pretty ridiculous and uh, goofy at all all turns. And, and I really like that. I really like the d dynamic between uh, Tom and Cheryl before it gets to this uh, kind of takes this kind of dark turn. So first off, they're enjoying one another's company, especially in the absence of their kid, who uh, gets to be uh, shepherded and chaperoned around by the babysitter. So they get to have this uh, naked uh, romp together in this uh, little bathtub. But then after, they have this, uh, you know, uh, heavy duty domestic violence aspect that I did not see coming that was, uh, well, very, very strange to say the least. Another thing I've learned is there's this... Um, scene in which uh, Cheryl gets slimed and she gets this green goop on uh, on her face which is uh, pretty uh, ridiculous as well you get to see her at work so you get to see the uh, artistic process as she hammers away on this uh, old-timey typewriter which is again uh, a lot of fun as well and uh, the kid uh, prompts her about all the horror stories she uh, writes and uh, I guess pesters his dad about the extent to which his mom is famous and uh, the these details of the author being plagued while they're uh, in this remote location again uh, likening it to the shining albeit a far uh, more light-hearted uh, work because uh, despite the i guess the nudity this is made for tv fair and this doesn't have uh, those trappings and uh, what made, I guess, the first two demons so uh, impactful to young horror viewers, especially, I think, it, the first demons is kind of a gateway drug, at least it was for me, and I think for a lot of people, too, in the community as an entry point for uh, getting into the horror scene from Italy, which is uh, un unbelievably renowned for gut-munching and gore, the likes of uh, your Umberto Lenzi's and, um, you know, of course, uh, Ruggiero Deodato and Joe D'Amato and, uh, and, and uh, Fulci, of course, and Argento and uh, all these types. I mean, there's just known for having such a fulsome, over-the-top, intense bloodletting that when you get come to something that this kind of uh, almost 60s monster movie is subdued it's it's kind of strange and and i mean surprising and, and unique and and uh, delightful in in many respects and uh, i was i was quite charmed by this it's it's light it's frivolous it's fluffy it's silly it's uh, quite pointless, but again, these are the hallmarks of the first two Demons movies, because like I've joked in the past about it, you could say that there was kind of this meta commentary on the destructive aspect of watching television and, and, uh, and, and bad entertainment, but th that there's really nothing to Demons Part 2. I mean, just the fact that the demons come through the television, uh, much like they do in the, in the Poltergeist, or as uh, David Cronenberg explored in the likes of a Videodrome, where you have this interface between technology and, um, and evil, there's really not much in, in the way of uh, any kind of 
subtler, deeper, or uh, you know, more, more philosophical aspects to this. It's just really dumb creature feature fun uh, with uh, a really good uh, shaggy monster story in effect with some good characters. I quite like the uh, math and physics professor too, who uh, acts as this go-between, whose uh, sister is the babysitter, and uh, kind of helps uh, integrate this family into the community as best she can, while warning them, of course, that it's a small town, and uh, the small town types don't take well to outsiders, but not to worry, she can help out, and this is how paranoid people act, and, and whatnot. She makes some joke about how the uh, town is full of witches, which uh, it really isn't, <laughs> but any, any Anyway, it's, these are just a few fun details of a fun, uh, kind, of, kind of tepid affair, but nonetheless worth your time, especially if you're a completist and you are, like I am, finding out that Lumberto Bava had a lot more to offer than uh, the, the Demons movies, and a lot of his films are actually really, really good, and obviously he can't uh, be uh, compared to the likes of... Uh, Mario, but still, nonetheless, like there's some really good stuff that he has contributed to the scene, and I think it's super cool that uh, he's he's able to have uh, fo followed in his uh, father's footsteps to the extent that he has. I mean, and and as well, he he should have. I mean, he was at his uh, side as an assistant on uh, the, the the very fun and very very beautiful Planet of the Vampires. I, I thought it was really cool. So I mean, th this stuff is like I, I don't know exactly if I have the um, knowledge base to compare it to some of the other stuff he's he's um, he's done like uh, so, something like um, uh, you know a body puzzle or uh, or um, a monster shark or one of these other things like he's like I think he was also oh assistant director too on on uh, Inferno and uh, Cannibal Holocaust um, but yeah I think uh, from my perspective anyway I think his you could say his piece de resistance is almost a, a blade in the dark. I mean, I think it's really killer. And, uh, you know, I think that his movies are super fun and super dumb. And uh, you'll like him. I like him. And uh, anyway, we'll uh, cut this one short, wrap this one up. And we shall talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm -hmm. you.